I want to take as my text this morning that reading from the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1080. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, and beginning at verse 6, which I'd like us to read again so that it's fresh in our minds. Acts chapter 1, and beginning at verse 6. And so when they had come together, that is Jesus and his disciples, after his resurrection, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were looking on, and he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And they said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simeon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. This morning I want to talk about being witnesses for Christ till he comes being witnesses for Christ till he comes. Indeed, notice again that verse 8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Interestingly enough, if you claim to be a Christian and others are aware of it, you're a witness for Christ whether you realize it or not. Uh, you may be a good witness or you may be a bad witness, but if you claim to be a Christian and other people are aware of it, you are a witness for Christ in one way or another, whether you realize it or not. Of course, the kind of witnesses that Christ is talking about here in Acts chapter 1 are witnesses who bear witness for him and the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what makes the witness good, whether what we say and do for Christ is received by others or not received by others. It's good because of what it is in itself. Now in these opening verses of Acts chapter 1, Luke tells us that after Jesus suffered and died, he rose from the dead. In fact, all of the gospel writers bear witness to this, as do all of the apostles. In fact, this is what gave them the, the power to be able to say when they were told to stop healing and preaching in Jesus' name or they would pay the penalty, and that was said by the same people who crucified Jesus. They said, whether it's right in your eyes to, to obey you or God 
You be the judge, but we cannot keep silent about the things that we've seen and heard. And so he suffered and he died, and on the third day he rose again. And after rising from the dead, even as Luke gives us detail, Jesus presented him as himself alive to the disciples as he describes it, uh, and that by means of many convincing truths and proofs that it was really him. <laughs> you remember he said, touch me and see that a ghost doesn't have flesh and blood as I do, and put your fingers into my wounds, and see that it is I. And even in the Gospel of Luke, and he said, and do you have something to eat? <laughs> and they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it. And it didn't just fall through his mouth onto the floor. It went into his mouth and stayed in his body. I don't know exactly how the the digestive system works in a resurrection body, but we can say as much as the apostles have said. And so by many convincing proofs, he showed to them that he was really alive and that it was really him. And Luke says that this went on for a period of 40 days after the resurrection. And at the end of that 40-day period, Luke tells us that Jesus gathered his disciples one last time and at that final gathering, Jesus told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem where they were. They were Galileans, but they were in Jerusalem for the holiday. Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the promised Holy Spirit. As Jesus says in verse 5, for John, John the baptized, baptizer, John the Baptist baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Which then brings us to our text, beginning at verse 6. And so we read that when Jesus and his disciples had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Indeed, this was the primary messianic expectation of the Jews. That when the Messiah was come, he would conquer their enemies. In this case, the Romans, who were there. And every Jew who lived in Palestine, unless they had Roman citizenship, was by default a slave of the empire. They had no legal rights. And so when the Messiah would come, the, the, the Messiah would conquer their enemies and end injustice and make all things right, which is a sentiment not so very different than the one that we pray when we pray Father, and thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Make things right, Lord. Come and do it, because in all of human history, no one else seems to be able to manage it. But in response to this, Jesus said to the disciples, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It'll come, and it'll come in his time, but don't worry about it. And then Jesus continues in verse 8. Think about this. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and, and Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus says don't concern yourself with just when the kingdom will come. And all of its fullness in the earth, rather know what is going to happen next, not many days from now, and why it's going to happen. 
Namely, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon you, and when it's poured out upon you, you will receive power. Power for what? Just to make you feel good? Power to be my witnesses. To share with others what you've experienced with me and to invite them to join you in the experience. Indeed, this is what true evangelism is. Even as we're awaiting for his return, and the coming of God's kingdom and all of its fullness, even as we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what true evangelism is, having experienced it ourselves and inviting others to do the same. As Alice McGrath wrote in his book, How Shall We Reach Them? He said, the real reason for evangelism is generosity. The basic human desire to share something precious and satisfying with those who matter to us. That's why we share. Because it means something to us and we imagine if it means something so wonderful to me, it could mean something wonderful for you. And so we share. And so Jesus says in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you know the geography, they're in Jerusalem, so he's talking about, and you will be my witnesses where you are now. And you will be witnesses in Judea, which is just a little bit broader. In fact, Jerusalem is in Judea. And then in Samaria, which is just beyond Judea. And then to the ends of the earth, which is self-explanatory. Which is another way of saying that the Holy Spirit will be with you wherever you are and wherever you go. And the Holy Spirit will empower you to be a witness for me, if you're a believer wherever you go, and wherever you are. Or as F.F. Bruce in his book, the, titled The Apostles, commenting on the geography of verse 8, he said, this is a reminder that Christian witness begins at home and then spreads out from there. You say, but I don't have a mission field. <laughs> you do. And it's living in your home. And so we start our witness there, and then we move out from there to church and work and school and so on. In fact, what a travesty it would be if we were evangelists to everyone that hardly knew us and not evangelists to those who know us well. <laughs> but then Luke continues in verse 9. And when Jesus had said these things, as the disciples were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight, they're, and they're looking up. This is a reference to the ascension. He died, he rose, he ascended, he's coming again. This is the gospel. In Luke chapter 24, Luke, who was also the writer of the Acts of the Apostles, he talked a little bit about the uh, he talked well. He talked quite a bit about the resurrection and just a little bit about the ascension, not in maybe the detail here. But in Luke, his gospel, Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 50, he makes reference to it and he gives us some other information about it. In Luke 24 and verse 50, he says, and Jesus led them out as far as Bethany. Bethany was on the, on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is located just to the east of 
of the city of Jerusalem and the temple precincts. And in between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem and the temple in their day is the Kidron Valley. It's not a, I've, I've walked across it and, and through it. It's not a big valley. And I've stood on the Mount of Olives at the, more or less at the top and I've looked down at the, at the, at the, at the, the, do, the dome over the rock and so on. But on the east, if you, keep go, if you go over top of the Mount of Olives and you start to go down the eastern slope, you hit Bethphage and you hit Bethany. And Luke says, and Jesus led them out as far as Bethany on the Mount of Olives. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And Luke says, and they worshipped him. I suppose they did. The ascension signifies Christ's exaltation. Jesus made reference to it to himself even before it happened. In John chapter 6 and verse 62, Jesus himself said, And what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Or in a very famous passage where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, chapter 13 of John, and beginning at verse 1. You may remember this. And now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. It's a reference to the ascension. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or, G or Paul, or excuse me, Peter in his famous sermon on the day of Pentecost, which just came, came on the 50th day. This is the 40th day. Ten days later came the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God came and, and, and came upon them, and they spoke in languages that they had never learned. And all the people from all, very, all around the Mediterranean world who had come, who were Jews themselves but lived in other countries and had as their first language the languages of those countries, they came, the Spirit fell upon the disciples, and the disciples spoke in languages they had never learned. And the gospel was presented in their languages and later, Jesus, Peter said in his sermon, he said, this Jesus God raised up. And of that, we're all witnesses, all of us standing here. And we ex witnessed him being exalted to the right hand of God. Which is a reference to the ascension. They saw him go, they couldn't believe their eyes. Indeed, as you come to verse 10 in our text, and while they were gazing into heaven as Jesus went, you probably, you and I would have done the same, like, well, this is a good trick. And while they were gazing into heaven as Jesus went up, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Verse 12, and they, they returned to Jerusalem. They came from the east side of the Mount of Olives and they summited and came over the top of it and went down the western slope and across the Kidron Valley and into the city of Jerusalem. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, which is just a little bit more than a half a mile, according to rabbinical tradition. 
weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath day, but you could take a walk if you needed to, but you couldn't walk any more than what was designated a Sabbath day's journey. Anything more than that would, uh, would, uh, would uh, uh, be work, constitute work, and therefore be a breaking of the Sabbath. But they took this short little trip and back to Jerusalem, and when they entered, they went to the upper room in the place where they were staying. And who was there? Peter, who had denied him. But that got resolved over the course of 40 days. And John and James and Andrew, Peter's brother, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, which is probably or perhaps a reference to him previously being a, a revolutionary who fought against the Romans. And Judas, the son of James, not to be confused with Judas Iscariot. And Luke says, and all the disciples were one, of one accord. <laughs> they said, all right, this is what he said to do. Let's go do it. They devoted themselves to prayer and they were together with the women. Who? Mary Magdalene and others that are mentioned in the Gospels. Supporters of his, disciples of his. Mary Magdalene, the one to proclaim for the first, the first person to see Jesus alive after the resurrection. And Mary, Jesus' mother, because she was a disciple too. In fact, this is the last time in the New Testament, chronologically speaking, that she's mentioned. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In fact, if you read the Gospel, and that scene in, in Nazareth, and uh, he offended them by what he said in the synagogue. Can you imagine Jesus offending anybody? Well, he offended people quite a bit. And he did it in his own hometown, and they said, Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother here? And his brothers, and they named them Judah and Simon, and there were two others whose names escaped me. And his sisters, aren't they here too? And all these people are there. Those brothers who didn't believe before the resurrection became believers after. <laughs> How interesting. And so there they were. And the point is that as we're waiting for him to return, that's what the, that's what the angels said. Why are you looking up? He's going to return in the same way that he came. And they were, the disciples were interested in the setting up of the kingdom. But before all of that, as we are awaiting his return and the coming of the kingdom in all of its fullness, we have been called by Christ if we're followers of his to be his witnesses. To be witnesses for him and that not in our own power but in the power of the Spirit. Which Spirit empowers us to live for Christ and also to share Christ with others. I've always appreciated what the late Don Sopers was wont to say when he was talking about evangelism. 
He said, Christ must first mean everything to us before he can mean anything to anybody else. Christ must mean everything to us before he can mean anything to anybody else. In fact, the real starting place of effective evangelism is just that, and that is being truly devoted to Christ ourselves. That's when evangelism stops being a task and starts being the natural outflow of who we really are. Or as the late Howard Hendricks used to say, we can't impart to others what we do not possess ourselves. Amen? Amen. Being witnesses for Christ till he comes. Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, that's the starting place. <laughs> we may be concerned about evangelism. Am I being an evangelist? Am I sharing my faith? The first question is, do I really believe myself? And do I believe in such a way that it radically transformed the whole of my life, the way I think, the way I feel, the way I act? And when it takes over everything and directs everything about my life, the way I think and the way I feel and the way I act, then I'm ready to be an evangelist. And what I feel and what I think and what I do will just naturally flow out. And as we might say, be as appealing as it possibly could be in as much as nobody appreciates a hypocrite. And so help us, Lord, to start there. Holy Spirit, fill us and, and bear your fruit in our lives. Love and joy, peace, patience, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. That you being in control of every aspect of our lives might also be able to bear witness through us to the truth of Christ who's at the center of it all, in whose name we pray. Amen.